You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to look at everyone for a second. I usually don't get to see you guys in the light. You look really good, okay? I'm glad you came to students tonight. I'm excited to be with you. But before I go any further, I just need to take a second. Don't leave, Pastor Jackson. I need to honor Pastor Jackson. Man, you are the real deal. And I'm just so glad. I think I can speak for everyone when I say we're so happy we get to be led by you. And I love getting to work with you, getting to call you my friend. You're the best. Come on, can we give it up for Pastor Jackson? Yes. Well, hello. If it's your first time, welcome. You're like, I came for Pastor Jackson, and there's this girl up there. She's kind of dressed like him, but that's not Pastor Jackson. You're right. My name is Maddie, and I am our student's worship leader. So, yeah. (laughs) So, usually when I'm up here, I'm doing a lot more singing, a lot less talking, but we're switching that up tonight. In fact, if it's your first time, it's also my first time, okay? It's my first time preaching, so we're in this together. We're on a journey together tonight, and I'm super excited, but I'm not even going to lie. I'm a little nervous, okay? I'm not even going to lie to you. When I, I was bit nervous, as soon as Pastor Jackson asked me, I was like, whoa, okay, I'm really going to do it. And I started to get nervous, but then I started to ask God, like, what do you want me to speak about tonight? And as soon as I prayed that prayer, I got super excited because I think this word tonight is going to change some people's lives. It sounds a little dramatic, but I really mean it. And a message that had these same truths in it is one that changed my life a few years ago. So I'm super excited to share it. But before we get into it, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for these students that we get to gather in your house tonight and that we get to grow in relationship with you. And Lord, right now, I just pray that every student and leader in this room would be given a supernatural focus and attention tonight where we'd be able to grasp onto things that you want us to catch in this message. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be me speaking tonight, but it would be you speaking through me. God, help me communicate this message and communicate your heart clearly to these students. I pray for soft hearts and open ears and open minds, that this message would be a seed planted deep in our souls that would flourish throughout the rest of our lives. Lord, I thank you, thank you, thank you, and I love you, and it's your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So as you guys know, we are in the series, Parables. Look to your neighbor and say, Parables. Yeah, that's a fancy word. I like that word. But basically, this word, Parables, is just a word for a story that Jesus told. So these are moments, those red letter moments, like Jesus was actually talking. And lost my spot. Jesus was actually talking in these red letter moments. So if you have your Bible out, you're going to make your way to Luke chapter 15. If you have a paper Bible, let me see it. I'm just curious. Oh, okay. Yeah, those are my middle school girls. They know what's up, right? Paper Bible for the win. (laughs) If you don't have your paper Bible, that's okay. You can use the Bible app. And if you didn't bring anything, 
this great giant screen behind me will display everything we need to know. So I got you covered. And I have a warning. I'm going to call this a chunky warning, okay? And I think every single message in this series is going to have a chunky warning. So just put it in your brain right now. I don't think it's ever going to go away. But if you're new, you're like, what is she talking about? Why is she saying chunky? Chunky is what we say at New Song Students when the word I'm about to read is going to be a little bit long and it's gonna have a lot of bit of details. And all that means is we just need to lean in and we need to focus really hard, but that's okay, because we're not afraid of God's word, am I right? All right, here we go. Luke 15, 11 through 32, this is our parable. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Sounds a little desperate to me. We're going to keep going. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants has more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, so treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. All right, we're about to get a new character. I promise we're almost done, but this is where it gets a little crazy. So now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, the brother he thought was dead, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. So this story has four main characters and I want you to remember what I'm about to say because this is how I'm going to refer to them all night. So our characters are the father and then we have the lost son, we have the brother 
and the servants. And the story starts out with one of the sons, the one who's going to be lost, and he comes up to the father and he asks for his inheritance early. An inheritance is something that you typically get after the person giving it to you has passed away. So this was kind of rude that he asked this. He was kind of saying, like, I don't really need you. I just need what you can give me. So can I have it early? And the father didn't take offense to this. He was like, yeah, sure. So he split it right down the middle equally and gave half to the brother and half to the lost son. And the lost son here decides he's going to go absolutely nuts. And he goes rogue, and he's like, forget you. I'm going to go do my own thing. So he goes off to a faraway country, and it says that he's living recklessly. And in this country, a famine happens. A famine is a point of starvation, and it typically results in a lot of death. So the people back home, the brother, the father, and the servants, they all assume that the lost son is dead because he's in this place where the famine has happened. But surprise, surprise, he's not dead. He's just really desperate. Like we read that he's literally eating pig slop. And he kind of realizes, like, why am I eating pig slop whenever everyone at my father's house has a fresh loaf of bread? And he comes to this realization, so he gets his stuff. Probably didn't have any stuff, but whatever he did have, he gets it, and he rehearses this apology, and he makes his way back home to his father. But before he can even apologize, his father sees him from far away, and he runs to him, and he's like, I thought you were dead, but you're alive. Like, you don't even have to speak right now. I'm in shock. And he's so excited. So he calls his servants, and he's like, get the fattened calf. We're having a feast. We're celebrating. And he gives him brand new sandals, a beautiful robe, and jewels. And up to this point, you probably know this story. This is the parable of the prodigal son. But this last section, I don't think we hear that much. It gets a little left out. And that's when the brother is introduced. So the brother, this whole time, has been living correctly. He's been obeying the commands. He's been serving his father. He's never really done anything very questionable like the other guy. And so he sees the celebration taking place, and he goes up to the servant, and he's like, what is happening? And the servant says, your brother, he's back. And this blows my mind, because like, if my brother, if I thought he was dead, and now he's literally 10 feet away from me, I would not be angry. But he gets angry, and he's like, I'm not going in there. I'm angry at that guy. And then it says that the father comes out and asks him to come in and join in the celebration. But the brother starts asking him questions. He starts saying, why this whole time when I've lived my life according to your commands and I've stayed in your house, why have I never been given the fattened calf? Why have I never been given this big celebration? Why did you not do these things for me? Even though you've blessed me with a lot, why didn't I get these things? And then the father hits him real hard and says, because everything I have belongs to you. You were always with me. All right, that was a lot. We just read the entire parable, and I just recapped it all in normal person language. But what does that mean for us today? And if you were here last week, Pastor Jackson, he introduced parables in a really cool way. And I actually never heard it like this. So thank you, Pastor Jackson. He told us that a parable is not just a story Jesus told to use as an illustration, but that Jesus actually wants us to see ourselves 
as a character in this story. So we need to know who these characters represent. So first we have the father, and this one's kind of easy. The father just represents God, our father, all right? Next, we have the lost son, and the lost son is representing all of us at some point, every single person in this room, whether you've been following Jesus since you're a little kid, or whether you decided two weeks ago, or even if you're still not convinced, the lost son represents God's children. And Jesus is painting a beautiful picture, and he's showing the celebration and the joy that takes place when we choose to live a life with him, all right? Then we have the servants, and they represent the church, not just New Song Church, but they represent the big C church, the body of Christ, and they show us how believers can work together to build up the family. And then last, we have the brother, and this is the character we're going to be focusing on tonight. This character represents someone who has been living in the father's house and they've been serving, they've been obeying the commands, they've been giving a really good effort to do everything right, but they're walking through something that is causing them to miss out on the fullness of what the Father is calling them to do. Through this parable night, through this parable tonight, I'm believing that we are going to be changed. I want us to leave this room looking more like Jesus than when we walked in. Pastor Jackson last week, if you notice, I'm referring a lot to last week. Shameless plug, listen to the podcast if you missed it. But if you were here last week, we talked about something that every single person is called to, and that's to go and make disciples. It's called our great commission. It's something that we all can participate in. And while that's great to know, something we need to understand is that there is a real enemy who wants to defeat this purpose. There's a real enemy who doesn't want you to participate in the commission, who doesn't want you to make disciples. And one of the many ways, but personally one of the main ways, he does this is through comparison. If you're taking notes tonight, which I really encourage you to, the title of my message is Comparison Kills Our Commission. All my favorite movies. I'm not that big of a book reader, but some of my favorite books too, they all have one thing in common and that's character development. You know, they walk into page one looking one way and they exit looking another way. And I believe that's going to happen tonight. So you guys ready to get developed. All right. I'm just going to throw it out there. Point number one, comparison kills contentment. So contentment is defined as a state of satisfaction. And the Bible tells us why living in contentment is important. It talks about it in a bunch of places, but one of the ways it talks about it is in Philippians 4, 11 through 12. I'm going to read it. It says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of placing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So this verse tells us that it's good to be content because 
our contentment doesn't come from worldly things. Like in any situation, I can be content because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. My joy and my strength comes from above. Another verse puts it like this. It says, the Lord is always sufficient. He's always good enough. So if we're looking at our parable tonight, the brother seemed pretty content, all right? When we started the story, he didn't have a lot of complaints. You know, he wasn't really a key factor yet, but he seemed pretty content. He was living in his father's house. He just got his inheritance early. Like, I don't know why you would be mad about that. So he seems pretty content with his blessings, with the way he was loved. But then all of a sudden, his brother shows up and he hates his life. Some of you guys are like, yes, same. But that's not the point. Why he is no longer content is because he stepped out of contentment and into comparison. See, nothing changed in his situation. The sandals were still the same sandals. His robe, still the same robe. The food he had eaten, still the same food. The love he was receiving, still the same love. But he compared himself to the lost son, and now his sandals suck, his robe is ugly, and his food tastes bad. But it never really changed. He just started to compare. And you might be thinking right now that comparison of things or the way you look isn't that big of a deal. But the Bible tells us that every good and perfect thing comes from above. So when you look at yourself in the mirror and you compare the way you look to the way someone else's someone else looks when God made you he said it is good so when you look at yourself and you say that's not good enough you're saying god you're not good enough right when you get a blessing that you've prayed for and someone else gets another blessing and you look at them and you say mine's not good enough you're not just lacking content in your circumstance but you're lacking contentment with god you're looking at what he has given you, and you're saying, it's not good enough. And quickly, your comparison of possessions and blessings and looks has turned into anger towards your provider. And that's exactly what happened to the brother. He got angry with his father, and he started questioning his fairness because he realized that what he was looking at was different than what he received. And instead of thanking his father, he took up comparison. And I love what the father says to him in verse 31. He said, son, you were always with me. All that is mine is yours. That's how it's always been, and that's how it's always going to be. But the brother couldn't see this. And the reason he couldn't see this is because comparison steals perspective. That's my point number two. Comparison steals perspective. All right. Just a quick show of hands, who in this room has been on a really really cool vacation before? Oh my gosh, okay, almost all of you. Now, who in this room on this really cool vacation took really cool pictures and you posted them on Instagram or your parents framed them in your house? Okay, okay, I like it. Now, I'm just going to take a quick guess and say that the picture framed above your fireplace is the one where your whole family is on the beach like this. And you're all smiling really good. Even your youngest sibling who you can't get to take a picture, she's like, okay. And the sun is shining super bright and the waves look like they're out of a movie scene. I'm guessing that's the picture. 
that's above the fireplace and a neat frame. I don't think it's the picture where you were on the airplane trying to get there and you sat next, next to this old man. Okay, no hate to old men, but you sat next to this old man and he fell asleep and it got a little bumpy. So he was in his chair and then he was leaning on you and he kind of drooled on you like the whole flight. Okay, I don't think that's the picture you were posting. And this is a funny thing with comparison. We look at what we want to see. We look at that neat picture and we compare ourselves to someone else but we're not seeing the full story. And this is what the brother did. He compared himself to the cropped picture. He looked at what was going on in the moment, but because he was robbed of perspective, he didn't see the full story. He was missing some things. All right, when he looked at the sandals and said, I really want those sandals, I don't think he would have enjoyed eating pig slop. You know what I'm saying? He looked at that robe and he was like, that's the best robe I've ever seen. I need that robe. But I don't think he would have enjoyed the pain that comes living far from your father or the regret from wasting his inheritance. I don't think he would have enjoyed that. And something else that happens when we looked at a cropped picture and when we compare ourselves to someone else is that we lose perspective and we look horizontal instead of looking vertical. And here's what I mean by this. We lose sight of the facts. Instead of looking vertical and thanking God for what he's given us, we look horizontal. Instead of looking up and saying, God, I'm just so grateful for who you made me to be, we look to our left and we say, they have things that I don't have. And we look to our right and we say, they don't look like I look, and we forget to look up at the one who made us. And the brother should have just looked up. He should have just looked to his father and he should have seen, wow, I never had to leave the comfort of my father's house. He should have looked vertical. He should have said, thank you, father, that you always provided for me. He should have said, thank you, father, that I didn't have to wonder if you still loved me and I didn't have to eat pig slop. He should have been looking up. He should have thanked his father that he is a merciful man and that he is so loving to his children that his brother was able to come home and felt like he had a place to run to. He should have been looking up. And all this leads me to my point number three. You're probably like, wow, she's getting there really early. But this is where we're going to spend a lot of time tonight. And my point number three is that comparison destroys your commission. Comparison destroys our commission. So, so far we have said that it steals our perspective, it kills our contentment, and it destroys our commission. So it steals, it kills and it destroys. Look at this, John 10, 10. It says, the enemy comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I hope you guys are seeing the connection here. And I heard some woos, so I think you are. But comparison is looking a lot like the enemy right now, right? 
And I think we participate in comparison so easily and we just let it consume us because we really forget who it comes from. We just act like it's a part of everyday life, like it's okay that I compare little things, but we forget who it comes from. It comes directly from the enemy. Comparison is a tool that the enemy uses to wound the kingdom. And here's why. This is a revelation I got while I was writing this message. God told me that if the enemy can hurt me, he can hurt we. If the enemy can hurt me, if he can cause me to compare myself to someone else, so much so that I'm not going to walk in my calling, then he can hurt we. Right? Romans 12 4, 8, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. I'm careful to use the word commission tonight instead of the word calling, because a commission is something we do together. It's a co-mission, right? It's a collaboration thing. It's something that each individual person in this room is called to take a part in. We each have a unique calling from God that only we can fulfill, but it's not for ourselves. It's for a greater purpose. It's for this great commission to make disciples to build the kingdom to give glory to the father that's what our calling is for the brother was being invited by his father to come celebrate the lost son this was his calling okay and when I first read this story I was like oh dang no one really missed out here except the brother and I kind of felt bad for the brother I was like this brother He could have taken this opportunity to share in his father's heart and to celebrate the lost son, but he didn't. So, uh, whatever. Sorry about you, bro. Sorry about you. But then I was shown something else, and this kind of broke my heart. At first, I was just like, sorry, brother. But now I'm upset because everyone in this story was affected by the brother's lack of participation. The brother wasn't the only one missing out. In other words, comparison didn't just hurt him. It hurt other people. You see, the servants and the community, the son and the father, they all missed out on his unique gifts. Like we read that verse in Romans, you each have a unique gift, but we're all one body. Okay, so they all missed out on what he could bring to the table. Not only were they distracted, that he wasn't there. Two times in the story, someone goes out to find him. Like they leave the celebration and go looking for him because they notice he's missing. So not only were they distracted, but the lost son wasn't able to receive something that only the brother could have given him. He was his blood brother. And the lost son wasn't able to receive that kind of love because the brother didn't show up. And the servants, They had a part of their working hands taken. You know, they just killed a fattened calf like two hours ago. I'm pretty sure they could have used the help, but they missed out on his view of things. They missed out on him being there. They missed out. And the father wasn't able to see his family reunified. 
See, the brother was the only one who could have filled that missing piece, but he chose comparison. He compared himself, and it caused him to miss out. He kind of decided that if he wasn't receiving the things that the lost son was receiving, then he might as well just not show up anyway. And that sounds like a dramatic thought pattern, but that's what happens when we compare ourselves. We get really dramatic, okay? You two boys, you get dramatic. This is how it goes. Say there's a birthday party happening, and you're like, this is a friend of mine, you know? They liked me enough to invite them to their party, right? And I want to go, but I know that they're getting the new iPhone, and... And I'm not getting the new iPhone, so their parents must love them way more than my parents love me because I don't have the new iPhone. In fact, I don't even have a phone, so I don't think I'm going to go. Or that girl at the party, she just got her hair done last night. I saw her at school this morning, and she looked really good. And I'm going to have to be in a picture next to her if I go to the party. And I don't look that good, so I'm not going to go. Even though... I'm the only one at that party that might be able to bring my perspective, to bring my love that the Father has poured into me to celebrate someone, to lift up God's creation. Even though that's my role, I'm not going to go because I compared myself. Or say your best buddy, like your bestest of friends. You and him or you and her play the same position in your sport. And usually, you're the starter, right? You're first string. But this Friday night, you're getting kicked. He's going in, and you're becoming second string. That one stings a bit. But instead of encouraging him, taking a chance to give him a word of encouragement to celebrate him in his moment of success, instead of pouring into him, you are going to sit on the sideline. You're not even going to talk to him. You're not going to take this clear opportunity to lift someone up that God has put right in front of you. And you're going to go for a dramatic game plan. Starting Monday at practice, you're not going to speak to him. In fact, you are going to compete with him from here on out because you need to show those coaches, you need to show those coaches that you're deserving of something that you deemed yourself deserving of. And I feel like I'm stepping on some toes. I'm stepping on him. And I get it. By nature, I'm super competitive. If you've ever played a board game with me, watch out. Because I'm going for it. And that's okay. But when a comparison problem becomes a competition problem, it results in a collaboration problem. When you're in competition, instead of collaboration, you steal the glory from who it belongs to, which is the Father. There's this worship leader, Brooke from Hillsong. I really like her, and I watched some of her sermons. And one time she said something that stuck with me hardcore. She said, a disconnected body is nothing but a crime scene. Oh, wow. oh snap. Yes. And I hope you're seeing tonight that when we operate in comparison and competition, we give the enemy a wide open door to come disconnect the body. Like I said, if he can hurt me, he can hurt we. And he knows this. So he gets sneaky and he uses comparison to ruin your commission. He uses comparison to step on what the Father is calling you to because he knows it's an easy way he can get to you. But when we stop competing and we stop comparing, we get to start celebrating. And we get to start lifting up God's creation around us. And the funny thing about comparison 
is that when I'm comparing and competing with someone else's gifting, which is God-given, or someone else's looks, which are God-given, I'm not actually competing with this person. I'm competing with God. Spoiler alert. You ain't winning, okay? You're never going to win in a competition against God. And the good thing is you don't have to and you don't even need to try because you are given your own calling. And your own calling is going to play a part in the greatest commission of all time. Don't you want to be a part of that? But you have to choose to be you in that part because he wants to use you. And the brother in this story, he didn't understand this. He didn't understand that he wasn't made to have the experience of the lost son. He didn't understand that his role was different. I hope you started to realize throughout this message, those spots in your life where you compare yourself to other people. Because we all do it. I do it. You compare the way you look. You compare your talents, the way you speak. And you might be a little wondering right now, like, Am I just going to leave this room knowing everything that I do? Am I just leaving here exposed? But that's not it. Because as believers, as the body of Christ with Jesus on our team, we have a way to combat comparison. And if we're truly going to kill comparison, we have to know who we are. I'm going to read a psalm to you guys tonight. And this is a verse that really did change my life. It changed my whole perspective. It's Psalm 139, 13 through 14. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Comparison isn't something you just deal with one time and then you never have to look at it again because we live on earth and the enemy knows how to get to you. If I'm being honest and transparent tonight, I struggled with comparison while writing a message about it, okay? I started writing this message and I started to compare myself to people around me or people I look up to. And it wasn't in one of those ways where I'm going to take notes and I'm going to do a really good job because I'm inspired by them. It was in one of those ways where I thought, I don't know if I will make it to the platform tonight. I don't know if I'm going to say yes to Pastor Jackson because I'm comparing myself. I'm comparing the way I'm going to hold my microphone. I'm a vocalist, so you know I'm usually like this, right? And tonight I have to be like this. And I compared all these little details. I compared, are my points going to be good enough? Is it going to sound cool? Are they even going to be interested in what I'm saying? And I started to pick myself apart. But this didn't last very long because God reminded me of that verse. He reminded me that he formed my inward parts. He reminded me that I am an unrepeatable miracle, that there will never be anyone that is me ever again. He reminded me that sharing his word is building his kingdom, that standing here tonight is a direct reflection of the way he made me. And he was able to remind me of these things because my soul knows it very well. So I have some questions for us tonight. 
And these are reflective questions, so I don't want you to answer them out loud because I want us to be really, really honest. So if you're taking notes, you can jot these down or maybe take a picture of the screen. But if we want to combat comparison and start working in collaboration as the body of Christ, we have to be confident in our creator and in who he made me to be. So here's the questions. Do you believe he formed you? Do you really believe that he formed you? Do you believe that he knit you together? Do you believe that he gave you your hair color and your eye color and your skin color and he knit those little passions in your heart that you were gonna have? Do you really believe that he knit you together? Do you believe that you are wonderfully made? Do you believe that whenever he made you, he looked at you and he said, it is good? Do you really believe it? And if so far you've said yes to these questions, do your words align with this? I'll never forget, I was hanging out with Haley Wilson one day and we were trying to do something and I couldn't figure it out. And I kind of just out of habit and out of jokingly was like, ah, I must be stupid. And we were sitting on the ground and she stands up and looks at me and said, don't talk to my friend like that. And at first I was a little taken back. I was like, whoa, okay, I won't. But it it showed me that my words weren't aligning with the truth that I knew. So do your words align with this? And last, does your soul know it very well? The only way you can be reminded of who you are and reminded of these truths is if your soul knows it very well because comparison is gonna sneak up and it's gonna try and get you. But if you know this in the depths of your heart, the Holy Spirit will remind you every time of who you belong to. If we truly want to build the kingdom and we want to participate in the great commission, we have to look up and we have to know who we are. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for this message tonight. I thank you that you gave me these words to speak and that you gave me a burden to share with these students. Lord, I pray that this message would just be a seed planted in them, that every time comparison tries to come at them, God, that they would know how to combat it because they know who they belong to. God, I pray that each person in this room, if not today, eventually will be able to answer yes to every single one of those questions. That they believe in you, God. They believe that you made them and that they were made perfect. Lord, we want to build your kingdom. We want to be a part of that great commission. So help us. Remind us, God. Help us look like you. Help us know who we are. In your name I pray.